0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 3 of the Redemption Arc. I'm your host, Iman. Mm -hmm. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into yet another episode of the
1: podcast. Um, Just so glad to have you here. I know that I am super excited for you all to hear this episode. It's definitely uh, my favorite episode thus far, despite it being the one in which I definitely speak the least. Um, But yes, this is the first episode where I'll have a guest. And I knew that when I started bringing guests onto the show that... Um It would be a crime to 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 start with anybody besides who I ended up picking for this one um you know to make anybody else my first guest besides my father um my father, as I talked about in my testimony episode, which is the first episode, so definitely check that out if you haven't already but um how you know my father and my mother are my have been my lifelong disciplers. they just helped build or they yeah gave me like such a strong spiritual foundation um and have really just showed me what it looks like to Live out the the call that we've been given, the call and the command that we've been given um, by the Lord. And uh, my father, specifically, he is a minister. He has been a minister for um, a good chunk of my life. I don't have the exact number, but I I think it, I'm thinking it's around twelve or thirteen years. Um, And he is currently the pastor of a church called Living Proof of Redemption Ministries, um, which already that name is just like very, very powerful. And I think it really speaks to the power of his testimony because he is living proof of of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness, um, and that, you know, he just... he. the the lord he he keeps his promises he protects his children all of these things and my dad is really a testament to all of that um and so i think that this episode will be will resonate with a lot of you i think it will really rouse a lot of you i know that i um during the conversation itself but also as i was just listening back to it and like editing the episode i just felt so um encouraged and sort of you know rejuvenated and re-excited about um this mission that we've been given um and just also for you know just yeah the goodness of god and who he is and just so grateful for that um so i think that if if you don't know christ this is a great episode for you if you do know who jesus is maybe you you grew up in the church or you know you come from a christian family but you're not you don't have a relationship with him yet um but you sort of you know it's always felt out of reach but you know that you should start one this is also an episode for you. And then lastly, if you're someone who is interested in going to into ministry in any sort of capacity, you know, ministry can take so many different forms. So, um, you know, if that's something that you have an, an interest in or you feel like you, your heart is being tugged in that direction, but you don't necessarily you know what that looks like or you're maybe already in ministry and you just need some encouragement. I think this is also a wonderful episode. So essentially, no matter where you are in your faith walk, I think you're going to like this. Um, my dad just has some really wonderful things to share. Oh, I guess I should say his actual name. I'll just call him my dad. So the guest today is Earl Dancy. Um, some would call him Reverend Earl Dancy. He doesn't really you know, like titles like that, but Reverend Earl Dancy, Minister Earl Dancy. But I just have the, the amazing blessing of being able to call him dad. And I'm just super excited to share him with you and Um, yeah, just let y'all listen in to what he has to say. So thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Dad, when would you say you first felt Jesus really tugging on your heart?
2: I actually felt the tugging when I was younger. I mean, I just knew there's a picture of me when I was like in the second grade. And, you know, they said he looks that I look like a preacher. And I just always knew, you know, I always had a lot of time by myself to think and And uh, even in college when I was doing a bunch of wild stuff, I can still remember walking to church with this guy I know today, you know, which was very unusual for guys that were like smoking weed and chasing girls to actually know the importance of going to church because both of us had been raised by Christian mothers. So I even went to church in college sometime. And I remember there was this one girl that I really liked in college. But because she was a Christian, that attracted me to her, but it also caused me just not to really pursue her the way I did other girls it was just I had this disrespect for her because she was supposed to be a Christian.
0: okay, so you you, you felt the tugging as a child you know even you know in college too but when would you say that the the flip actually switched because you know I, I know that you, weren't
1: saved since you were a kid Um, and and there were several decades between the moment you just described or like the period you just described and actually coming to Christ and definitely you know starting your ministry that didn't start to the 2000s so when did things really begin to change Um, yeah in in your relationship with Christ?
2: Well I think I began to realize that I was different I mean I've always like I said I've always tried to be a good boy, I always respected my elders, and, you know, I was very, I I had a kind heart from the time I was young, but in the 80s, I remember I just started having these dreams that become, that, that began to come true, and uh, they were uh, happening on such a regular basis that it really scared me, because, you know, I'm dreaming things, and about people that are, you know, hundreds of miles away, and And then they're calling me and I'm telling them what I dream and it's absolutely exactly what happened. And just beginning to wonder, you know, why am I having these dreams that are coming true? And then I talked to my old cousin. It was around, um, I think this had to be around 89 or 90. And uh, she said that either, you know, I said, I'm I'm having all these dreams that are coming true. I uh, I mean, it scared me. And she said... um, either God is trying to just show you his power or, you know, you can see things. And so don't be afraid. And so, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some things. And if I told people, they would think that was either lying or crazy. But, you know, I know what God can do. I know that there, you know, I don't want to get deep. I just know that if God wants to show you something, he can. There's nothing that prevents him from showing you what he wants to show you. And, you know, uh, sometimes if you don't have a lot of people to bounce it off, it may frighten you. So, but yeah, around early 90s, I began, you know, because when I met your mom in 89, I told her, you know, I'm supposed to be a preacher. I remember in 1985, I told this lady what my first sermon would be. You know, she was a lady that I knew her through my mom. They both... um were pregnant, getting ready to deliver at the same day, and her son died during birth. Um, while she was giving birth, he died, and then I lived, and so she always had this fondness for me, and so before my mom moved back down south, I was staying with this lady, you know, paying her rent, and just working, and she would wash my clothes, and we used to talk all the time, and I, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was in 1985. It was in the summer. I was lying out on a lawn chair and she was hanging out clothes because I was working third shift and so I was eating cantaloupe and I told her hey you know my first sermon I already know what it's going to be and she was kind of taking aback. back she said what do you mean your first sermon I said no nah, I'm supposed to be a preacher so I mean I've, I've known it
1: mm. I mean maybe it's hard to pinpoint but I, I just know that when I hear something like that it's it's. I mean, first of all, it's inspiring to hear because it's, right, to to know that you had a call and that it was so clear to you. But, I mean, did you feel like you knew that you're supposed to be a preacher because, like you said, the people that were around you would look at the picture, and just from the time you were a little boy, they saw that in you? Or how was God speaking to you? How did you know you are supposed to be a preacher? Um, was it coming through the dreams that you were talking about, the sort of, like, I don't I call just prophetic, knew I,
2: but... I knew I was different. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a, a fear of God. I knew that even during my, my, uh, the times of my greatest immorality, I still, there were certain boundaries that I knew not to cross because I was, you know, always afraid of God. And that is what has kept me, um even though I was wild, at a point, what has kept me even closer to the straight and narrow now is this fear of God, this reverential fear that he can get our attention. He can correct us. He can chastise us. And so, I mean, the Bible says that whom he loves, he chastens. And so, um, but because of as I got older and began to have kids, it just really caused me to have a greater fear because I knew that God could get my attention by afflicting one of my my children and that has always kept me from doing so many things that I could do easily but the fear and the love that I have for my children would cause me just to say I can't do these things this uh, uh, no nah, this is no I I can't do this this is wrong and so I wouldn't
1: mm. Okay, so I'm th- I'm I'm in the '90s now. Even though I mean, you're, you were just talking about us, and we were obviously born in the 2000s. But I'm mean, I'm going back to the '90s. Leek
2: was born in '92.
1: Well, no, I know. I'm talking about me and Layla, I guess. Right, right, But right, right. <laughs> but so you're having these prophetic dreams. You said it scared you, but yeah. you, you had this obviously, like you said, this reverential fear for the from of the Lord for your whole life, because that was just sort of embedded in you. I'm sure it grew over time. And you speak to this woman. She says that the dreams can, you know. It was
2: my cousin, Gad. Right, your cousin. Was around 89. Okay. But even before then, I remember it was 19. At the latest, it was spring of 87. Because I know I was riding an 86 motorcycle. And I, in 87, I got a different bike. But I remember being on, at Kentucky Fried Chicken. And a lady that didn't look anything like you were or myself, um, we we something I left the lights on and when I came on the guy said, you left your lights on the motorcycle. And so when I came back in, she was like, yeah, that was nice for him. I said, it was. And then she just immediately said, are you saved? And I was like, no, I'm I'm not, I'm not saved, but I, I want to be. And uh, her eyes were very green, like, you know, some of the most beautiful grass you could ever want. Her eyes were very green. And she looked at me and she says, well, you will be saved. And I said, well, how do you know this? And I told her what I was getting ready to do when I left there. And so she kind of just said, no, you don't need to do that. These people don't care anything for you. And and so to avoid uh, meeting this guy, this was all before cell phones and everything. I just said I'd go another way. And I would, I I just was gonna heed this lady. It was just, I was compelled to do what she suggested. Excuse me. So I go home, I'm heading towards home, and I run into the guy. And what I saw, um, I, I don't tell many people, and I won't say it on the podcast, but what I will say is when I saw what I saw that day, I just knew then that, you know, I'm seeing things. I'm, I'm having dreams that are coming true, and most of the people that I know and ask are not experiencing these things. There's, there's something different. Why am I you know, I'm not crazy, so why are these things happening to me? And so when you begin to tell people about certain things, particularly in your age group and particularly in this day and time, people lie so much about everything that if if I was to share certain things, people would just think, Oh, he's lying or he tries to he's trying to make himself out to be someone. I've always said I'm nobody. You know, I I don't desire to be anybody that's uh, reverence because that's only for God. Glorified because He He shares His glory with no one. But I know the things that God has allowed me to see and experience in my life, and and I know that these things have not been um, coincidences. These are real life things that have always reminded me of you're different, and. It was in 81 when I was in college, the lady told me, she said, you know, you have to be so careful how you use your voice, you know, your pitch, your tone. There's something in it. And so it took me a while. I mean, any job interview, I've always had, you know, exceptional communicative uh, abilities. I could get any job, any female I really pursued, you know, I could get her. And I just realized that, hey, I do have this ability, this this gift to put my words together. And if he gave me the ability to speak, you know, I have to speak for him. You know, money has limitations. You know, I, I'm not chasing females. So all of this just kind of added up that, hey, how you've been feeling, this is exactly You're feeling these things because this is who you really are. This is why you were created. This is why on that day, the enemy came into that room and he took that other little baby boy. But God spared me. And the numerous things I've done, I remember in 80, somewhere around 88, riding a motorcycle, two or three o'clock in the morning, just hit a bump and the motorcycle leaned all the way over, but it didn't fall. And I think it's because my mom was just praying for me all the time. And I just, you know, I used to ride on I-95 intoxicated on motorcycles and and there's always been, you know, a shield of protection around me that I, I've done far more things, men have done far less than me and they've been killed. So I, I just begin to realize that God has been keeping me and uh, so it just all came together. And I remember, you know, I told your mom at 89, I'm supposed to be a preacher. She says, you're not even saved, you're doing it. <laughs> I said, but I know what I'm supposed to be. And so then in like 2000, um, but but there was a distraction, you know, whereas I just began to make large amounts of money and money and women are some of the greatest on uh, distractions that any person that has a calling for God can come into, you know, that that, that we can experience, you know, just this desire to be, to be Mr. Big, you know, making all the money. Everyone's looking at you. Everyone knows that you, you know, you've got the new cars. you got everything. You can give money away. Or, you know, it's either that or you've got all these women that want your time. And before you know it, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. When deep down inside, I realize now that these distractions, because the enemy comes to steal, to kill, or destroy. And so those things would destroy or steal my ministry that that I was supposed to do. Just getting caught up in making money. You know, and so I just kind of, uh, I, I just realized what I was supposed to do that, you know, this this is why you're here. You know, and you can't allow anyone to cause you to doubt this. And, you know, so many today, you know, I remember when I first, a little bit, yeah, when I first, I was getting ready to do my initial sermon or something, and one of the guys I knew, he says, well, you know, preaching is the new come up. And what that means is this is how guys decide they're going to make some money. They, You know, they just want to um, use the Bible as a, as a method to... uh even the, even the bible says there's a passage that men would make merchandise of of others with feigned words and this is what you have you have men that profess to be speaking for god but satan is signing their paycheck you know they are not preaching the the entire bible they're just picking out i mean the largest church in america it's, it's run by a guy that just cherry picks the things oh god is good he loves you no matter what he does not tell you the entire story, and I I don't want to just keep you from asking questions. But today, when I was driving my van that had been sitting for a couple years, so I went and got it, and there was tapes in it. See, uh, uh, the Bible asks, uh, you know, how can they he- How can they have faith in whom? How can they? Be- how can they have faith in whom they don't believe, or how can they believe in whom they haven't heard, and how can they hear? without a preacher. And when I was making money with dump trucks, I can remember that I used to listen to this guy and I used to just make sure I could hear him on the radio. And then I can remember just driving sometimes, just crying. And, uh, so I I used to get all his tapes, you know, even though he was in DC, Juliet would meet, my sister would meet his, uh, the lady in the tape ministry in Virginia, and she would uh, give give her the tapes and she would mail them to me. Or sometimes she, the lady in D.C. would just surprise me and mail me free tapes. But I would listen to him, Bishop Charles Johnson, a greater morning star, I think that's what it's called, in now in Maryland. But I said, I was listening to him today, the man that I, I was hooked The Bible says that no man could come to Christ unless God draws him. So God was using this man to draw me to Christ. I was listening constantly to this man. And today, the message, it was just so, it was like he said something that I could not relate to then. He was telling the congregation, any of you that desire to be a preacher or think you're supposed to be a preacher... Let me tell you something, it's not going to be easy. The, you are number one, you are target. And and you have to think about, like I got a text the other day from a guy that sent me about some pastor, I don't know him personally, just embezzling 24 million. Anytime someone in the ministry does wrong, I mean, everyone has, it's blown out of proportion. Everybody knows it, even they don't know him, because that is Satan's method to cause people to say, man, none of those preachers ain't right. Why am I going to church? But he said in that tape that I know I got in the 90s, early 2000s, it's not going to be easy. And today, you know, I remember you had a report. I think it was you or Layla. Um, Maya Angelo, why the cage bird sings. I don't re- one of you had a report or a book.
1: It was me. And
2: I said, I told somebody, I don't know why the cage bird sings, but I know why the preacher's hair turns gray. Because it is it has always for me been a burden. Because you're trying to reach people, you're trying to get them to understand how good God is and how much He deserves some of the time that he extends to us. And it's like when I had you before the congregation speak Chinese, uh, nobody seems to be able to understand that. You know, there's something about this this world, these, you know, the ploys, the, 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 the tactics, the schemes of the enemy that cause people that can hear everything else, but they cannot hear and understand the importance of having a real relationship with God. They can go to the hospital to see people. They can go to funerals to 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 pay respects to people. But they never wonder or they never even imagine, one day I'm going to be in this hospital. One day I'm going to be in this casket. One day my life is coming to an end. They can't. It's this great disconnect. I remember Abraham says that to the rich man that said, can Lazarus just dip his uh, finger in some water and touch the tip. He said there's a great divide, a great gulf. He he can't come to you, you can't go to him. And it seems like the enemy has this great gulf between people clearly understanding who God is and how important, how essential he is that he holds our breath in his hands and they still disregard him as if he's Santa Claus or the... So... This is um Jesus says. I, I preached on it not long ago. Uh, the truth can cost you. It, he, he says, if uh, if you're going to consider following him, you, you must first count the cost. Well, what is that cost? Uh, you, you mean cost? where I got to buy suits and shoes and a nice car. And no, it's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost you family members. It might even cost you marriages and relationships with your children. I have no friends. I, I just don't. You know, I'm very close to my to, to my wife and to my sister. Um, I think I'm close to you, but I don't have real friends because the, I, I wanna take it to the nth degree. You know, I believe that I'm supposed to help people you know, so I have a problem with people that say they love the Lord, but they just can't, they can't give, they'll give thousands of dollars to Walmart annually, but they won't give $5 to a man whose clothes are dirty, his hair is matted, his skin is stained. And, and you can see that he has a need, but you won't even look at him. And, 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 and Christ says, um, you know, you fed me when I was hungry, you you clothed me when I was naked, you visited me when I was in prison. They said, we never saw you. They said, if you've done it to the least, if you've done it to those amongst you, you've done it to me. But if you don't do it to them, then this is what you're not doing for me. So I've always wanted to help. I've always helped people. My mother, many years before she died, said your heart is too good. I'm not saying I'm an angel, but I know this. I can see need. Nobody has to have a sign. I can see mental instability. Nobody has to be in a straitjacket or at a hospital. I know there are people out here that need help, and I will always, always, and you know this, from the time you rode with me in cars me we were going to take mommy food, I have always helped people, always, and I always will, because somebody has to let people know that, hey, you know, there are people out here that can see you. You're not invisible to me.
1: Okay. I want to backtrack a little bit. You covered a lot of ground. I want to just talk more about the calling. Cause I know that as a person who is interested in ministry, I mean, that's what this podcast is. It's my own sort of first venture into the world of ministry. Um, I know that I'm very interested in what the call looked like for you. How did you know that you had that call? Um, What did your response look like? I don't know. Just however you feel led to respond to that one.
2: All right. Well, the funny thing is, you know, um, when I began to feel like, man, you know, I I remember telling your mother, um, well, before then, you know, I was just wondering, you know, how do you know God is calling you? And I I was just desperately looking for a sign. And I can remember walking in this neighborhood. I used to do a lot of walking because I had just a lot trying to figure out how can I get back on track making enough money to do what I need to do with a family you know because when we moved here I gave up my money and so um I remember walking and I, it was right after DMX had made this record this was like uh, lord give me a sign and I was walking and we live in a predominantly white neighborhood and I was like well god if you know if it's if you really you know are calling me then let some of these people that uh, are normally suspicious of me or someone that looks like me. <laughs> let let some of these people just smile and wave at me, and I remember. And and it began. It it happened during that walk, and uh, the thing is that I remember asking my sister about it, and it, it's funny. I asked people, and it was just strange. I asked one preacher that we used to sit under. He just told me, "No, brother Dancy." You're not supposed to be a preacher. God isn't calling you. You've just, you know, you, you can reach some people I can't with your testimony, but God isn't calling you to preach. And within two years of me preaching on the radio, he told me I was an end-time prophet, that my messages are for the last days. God has given, because I asked him, why am I so lonely? And he told me, the same pastor that told me I was not being called to preach. He says, you know, you're a you're, you're, you're a last day end-time preacher Time is winding up. God has given you this message and you are going to be lonely. Now, the other thing is my sister had asked me, she always trying to help me, uh, um, call this pastor. I've got a number for you in New York. And so I talked to this man and finally I'm like, well, how do you know you were called? And he was like, well, you know, it's different for everybody. And, and then I finally was like, well, how did you become a preacher? Well, my father had uh, was the first pastor here and I over, I took it over after him. I just hung the phone up. And I realized then, he wasn't called. This isn't a business, a family business. You don't inherit
1: it, right? right,
2: This is about souls. And so, I would tell anyone that you will know. I told your mother that either it's time for me to preach or I am losing my mind because I'm crying a lot. And I remember Reverend Taylor gave me the Dakes Bible. And I used to look in this Bible and I just could not make sense of I mean, it is a marvelous Bible, one of the, Dake, D-A-K-E. It is one of the best Bibles you can get. I mean, it's so massive, and it just has a plethora of information. It covers so many. But I, and then I remember um, this movie, uh, I, one of these Christian movies early on, um, uh, um, Facing the Giants or something like that. It, and it was a football team. And and I remember watching that movie and I was just crying. And uh, I remember when I opened that Bible up, it was like God had clicked the light on. And I just began to be able to understand and be able to, to understand it and not only understand it, but to be able to convey it to people, to preach it in a way that does not have any a a, a hint of my educational background. You know, I'm not trying to preach to some preacher message where the highly educated and the most religious will be the only ones that can understand. I'm trying to preach to the common man. Mm -hmm. You know, you shouldn't need a thesaurus or a dictionary to understand what I'm saying. I'm not here to impress anybody with my words or wit or, or intellect. I'm trying to impress upon them the need that they have for a savior, Mm. for someone to be Lord of their life, someone they can take their deepest problems to, someone that's always there, that would not screen your call or send you the voicemail, someone that's never so busy that you can't call on him. That is what he wants. He, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I give you rest. You know, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Find meek and lowly and heart, you'll find rest into your, your souls because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Yoke up with me. All the pressures that you have in life, I'll carry them for you. And when you get weak, I'll even carry you. Now I need somebody like that in my life. Now some people may have I, I've had money. When I made the most money I've ever made, I found my mother laying in the floor dead. She was not sick with her eyes open. Money will not help you get through that situation. You have to have somebody that will strengthen you. And I'm telling you, my father's been dead. I couldn't depend on him. You know, but we have a heavenly father. We can take everything to. Listen, in this day and time, 2022 and beyond, they want you to think it's a fairy tale, it's a mystical book, you know, something men put. I I, I am telling you, when you look at the size of the sun, 875,000 miles wide, how how did that get there? (laughs) How does it operate on a schedule? You know, how did the elephant get his trunk? The lion has stripes, or the tiger has stripes. Listen, God is real. And the greatest task that the devil has is to convince you that he isn't. And then on your, your day when, when your life is coming to an end, you'll realize that it was a mistake. Steve Jobs looked like he was weighing 75 pounds when he had $17 billion. Now, money has limitations. Status, power—all of that is gonna. You you need someone that, that. It's called the hidden man of the heart, the deepest part of your being. That's where he speaks to you at. You can hear it not when your cell phone's on you on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, but you can hear him when you're by yourself. But the thing I would tell anyone is, listen. Yes, it's going to be hard, but you have to recognize the, the snares, the wiles the tactics that the enemy use and it is to distract you and to keep your ministry from ever coming into fruition. There's nothing that's more important than when you, when you know that you had something, a, a small part of uh, in someone giving their life to Christ, how you're helping them come from death into life. And when they close their eyes, they're they're going to a better place. I've been to lots of funerals. Usually the old saints that you know love the Lord, when they're in that casket, no matter what they went through, they look happy. And the young man that dies in his sin, the greatest morticians in the country can't make him look happy. See, you're going somewhere when you leave here. Uh, You know, there's an accountability And and nobody can convince me God isn't real. How do I have a son at the Mayo Clinic? How do I have one daughter at Yale, another daughter at Cornell? This Earl came from a broken household, me and Shell. How did these things come to be? I don't have the intellect nor the connections to pull all that together. But what God has told me is if I lived right, not only he would bless me, but he would bless my seed. I'm living proof of that. What I focused on God. I got a lot of people I know are focusing on money. I had the money. A lot of guys I know are focusing on women. I had the women. I'm focusing on God. And what has happened to me and your mother and within this household, God did that. Money might have got us here, but God kept us here. And God has blessed us. And I will tell anyone that it is lonely you are going to go through. But how can you not have to go through something if you're following the one that they hung to a tree? They snatched out his beard. They pierced him in his side. They cursed him. Those closest to him fell asleep and denied him. You think it's going to be easy for you? No, it is going to be difficult. But as hard as it is, as many tears as I've shed, the rejection, knowing that God had gifted me to be able to preach without a manuscript, to go and watch men with choirs and salaries and, and, and congregations that had been to seminary that would read their sermon. And I'd ask God, you give me this. But all it did was it just made me preach deeper from a deeper part of my heart. You know, and uh, it's going to cost you. And if it's not costing you, you're not following him. You know, it's about self-renunciation, about denying yourself. And so I haven't quit. There's been times I've felt like, what is the need of it? They don't want to hear the truth. They don't really want to serve him. But I continue to go back because I believe they need to know that somebody cares for them. That it's, it's, it's not contingent upon them dotting every eye and crossing it. Every... The Bible even tells us we'll never be perfect. We can't live without sinning. The Bible says that we all sin and come short of his glory. And that we say, if we say we sin not, then we deceive ourselves. But he is faithful and just. He's willing to forgive us. There are people that are angry with me. I, stuff I did in 1979. <laughs> dude told somebody, Earl said something hard to me when we were in college. Christ will forgive us. He, you know, he'll forgive us for anything. And so uh, don't delay. If you feel it, don't let anyone convince you uh, that he's not calling you. Uh, Listen. Hundreds have accepted Christ under me preaching and it's not me, but it's an indication. I tell anybody, I, I, I cannot preach. I don't have the words. I can't keep up with anything, but when I when it's time for me to preach, I yield to the greater power, the Holy Spirit, and there's power in these sermons. I've seen grown men crying like babies, and I tell them, man, I don't even know what I said. See, if you're looking, you're at Yale, and maybe some of the people that a lot of your friends are highly educated, your education is not going to give you the anointing. It, yes, you can have the vast vocabulary. You can have enunciation, articulate. You can have all of these things. You can be nice looking and you can impress people, but the power comes from above. And Duke Energy, no energy company, whoever, <laughs> a Con Edison, they don't have that power. That power comes from way up yonder. And he gives it to whomever he pleases. And the anointing is what destroys the yokes of bondage. And that is the reason that so many people are still deep, deep, deep in sin that go to church every Sunday. Because the preacher is not really anointed. He just decided he wanted to be a preacher. And he had everything, the connections, and uh, walk with some people, and they hooked him up. He's got a church. You can learn a lot. At those small congregations to that man that's preaching and it ain't 500 people in there and that man that's preaching and maybe he doesn't have a lot of education. But the words that he needs, if he's called, God will give them and they'll make the smartest person in there be aware of how ignorant they have been by relying on who they were and what they had. Don't let anyone keep you from answering your call, young man, young woman, older man. Only what we do for Christ. That's the only thing that matters. It's not in vain. And one day, when you know that you're nearing the end of your life, don't you want to be able to look back and say, not that, oh, I have a million dollar house and oh, I've got all kinds of cars and Don't you want to be able to say, I did something for my creator. I tried to make this world a better place. And I told people that there was a God that loved them and they needed to make themselves aware of him. But. Let's get to the next question. I can go on and on, and I don't want to do that.
1: So one thing I want to ask you 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 meant you talked about God chastening you. People like to use the word prune. I know that's the word that I've been using more recently. But right, ultimately, the question that a lot of people have, especially people who don't yet serve God, is you know, if we serve a good God, you know, why do people go through difficult things? And for people who do serve God, they're like, I'm living right, but you know, it's it's I'm going through a lot. You know, I'm losing loved ones. Um, I feel like I don't have the favor of God. Any of those things. How would you respond to that?
2: Well, there's a passage of scripture. I mean, that I just preached about it last week. I mean, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and it's about how the eagle flutter stirs her nest, and fluttereth her wings. And what what it basically means is that there are times that God allows things to happen that will cause us to be more reliant upon Him, and it will increase our Uh, Our prayer life and our dependency and and, and it will cause us to to have uh, our well will become deeper with which we draw from whenever we go through some things. I mean, when a person is sick, the average person, you don't have to tell them to read their Bible. When a man has been given a glim prognosis, you don't have to tell him prior to the pandemic that he should go to church. So there are things, the Bible says that all things work for the good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And if we did not go through anything, why would we need God? You know, you've got everything. Why would you need him? The deal is, that this life should not be perfect. You should suffer here. The Bible describes Christ as a man of sorrows, acquainted with our griefs. Can you imagine how Christ felt when Peter, who he allowed to walk on the water with him, denied him three times on the third time using his sailor language, his fisherman language, and cursed, and he knew this and knew he would do these things. How all of the disciples scattered to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy, how they lied on him and how they released their savagery upon a human, God wrapped in human flesh. How can we think we're not going to suffer here? But I'll tell anybody this, the worst day of my life made me a better man to pull in my driveway, my mother's driveway in a brand new vehicle with $6,000 in my pocket, going to buy a $600 puppy in 1999, to realize that something has happened. The phone is off the hook. I cannot get in this house and have to break this house door down and get in there and find my mother laying in the floor dead. That broke my heart. That broke me. But I needed that in order to take this message where it needs to be taken. You got to go through something to tell somebody about what God is and who he is and what he can do for them. He has been reduced to Santa Claus or the 911 operator. He's, a, he's the best friend that you'll ever have. Your earthly friends, these relationships are contingent. You think you got a lot of friends, get sick and stay sick for a while. Go to prison and stay there for a while. You're going to realize you don't have anybody, but your immediate family in most cases and maybe one or two friends. But if you get sick every day, he'll sit at the foot of your bed. He'll comfort you. You go to prison. He needs no visitation form to fill out. He can come through the bars. And you can't tell me that just having this relationship with him doesn't mean something. When I used to smoke weed, if the cops got behind me and I knew I had some weed in the car a little bit, my heart would start beating fast. That means my mind controlled my body. Well, if my mind believes that there is a heavenly father that will never leave me, that will never forsake me, that I can call on during the worst times of distress and emergency, you tell me how that is not a good thing. No, he's the best thing that you could, just come to him realizing that you're not that important, that everything that's in you, he gifted you with it. And you come humbly and you ask him, you do like Isaiah did in chapter six, when the Lord said, who will go for us? Who shall, who, who shall go for us? Who, who shall I send? Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. You go with his message. You march under his banner. It ain't about you. Because there's a brevity of life. The Bible says you can't add one cubic to your stature. The other day I thought that, you know, our heartbeats are measured, uh, some average, they say somewhere between 60 and 100 beats a minute. You multiply how many minutes? I think in a day, there's like 14, uh, maybe 1440 uh, per day. You, 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 you multiply that by 80. Then you multiply that by some years and years. This, this heart, he's the one that makes it beat. And so you might as well be intelligent enough to give him your heart, because basically it's useless without him. If he decides that it, he doesn't want it to beat anymore, uh, few machines can start it. Your life, your breath, everything is in his hands the smarter we got. Uh, the Bible talks about in Hosea when the people multiplied, they sin more. Uh, people have more than ever in this world and God is left less and less important. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, he's the best thing I know. I've had a lot of money before. You know, I've, I've got a lot of nonsense that I don't use anymore, toys and antiques and cars and motorcycles and all this mess. It doesn't mean anything. It's nothing. I can't take it with me, and it does not define who I am. I can ride a mule on Main Street, and I know I'm a child of the king. I know that God has kept me, and I preach his word in fear, hoping that he's pleased with what I said. I'm terrified every time I get ready to preach because I, I just know that he's listening and I have to give an account. This is what Paul told Timothy. I think it's in chapter four. Uh, you're preaching it. God is aware of it. and You're going to have to give an account of it. Um, time, uh, this is the worst time ever on this planet. And uh, I just think that people that really want to preach the gospel for the right reason, not for fame, not for fortune, but because there's something deep from within you that compels you. Remember, Paul said that if woe unto me, if I preach not the gospel, and that's where I am and that's where I hope you'll be. And some of you, the enemy will allow you to listen to some of this and cut it off. There'll be something in my voice, he'll tell you, but you know what, listen, that's between you and your creator. I know who woke me up this morning and I know everything that I've said is true. I'm not trying to impress anybody. My daughter asked me and I just, yeah, I did what I do, you know, and uh, I probably won't even remember what I said in about 30 minutes. (laughs) I seem to forget a lot of stuff these days. Can't keep up with nothing, but I'll tell you this, There's a passage of scripture that if you're, you know, a certain, if you're under 30 or four, if you're under 30, if you're under 40, remember this passage of scripture. Remember the Lord that I created in the days of thy youth before the evil days come. Don't wait until somebody has to take you in the church. Don't, don't wait to to start ministry whenever you can't remember where you put your car keys and you need glad. Nah, while you're young and have plenty of vigor, give it to God rather than giving it to the world. That's the most I can tell you. do you have any more questions, baby? We got long winded. I'm sorry. I was telling her that it shouldn't be but thirty minutes, and,
1: <laughs> and
2: all of a sudden here I am going trying to go fifty five. But anyway, any do you want to conclude with anything, anything I think, you need to ask?
1: Me? I think yeah. I guess my last question. I mean, we've been talking a lot, right, to people who who feel the call, or you know, they might feel the call eventually. Um, I guess my last question is, and you all end all your sermons with this anyway, right? So to somebody who is unsaved, to somebody who, you know, maybe like you, they they grew up in the church, they know who God is, but they have not accepted him, um, you know, haven't made him the Lord of their life. What do you have to say to them? And yeah, we can just close with that.
2: Well, the first thing I'd like to say is, look, most likely the chances of you seeing God on TV, I just think based on the world we're living in, it's rare. I think that many of the people that are on television, the televangelists, these guys are in it for money, and only a few are in it for souls. I, I think that uh, you can find God, uh, you know, on a long walk out in nature, uh, sitting by the ocean, or uh, you can find him by yourself without your cell phone. And uh, I just think that um, you'll know it. That guy in New York couldn't tell me anything about the calling. You asked me about the calling. Mm-hmm. The guy in New York, the pastor, he he couldn't tell me anything about the calling. But I can tell you about it. You'll know. You, 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 you'll, you'll know because you've been different all your life. You're different than most of your friends. You know, you'll know. You're not crazy. It, it It's God created you for this. And I had to ask people because I didn't know. But now that I know I can tell people, I was an emotional wreck and I didn't do it for, for any gain. It has cost me the church that I do now. I'm on the radio and I give the money away to people I don't even know. Or people that are sick. Well, that's what I'm about. I don't want a new car. I don't want clothes. I, I don't even want anyone to call me Reverend Earl. I'm just a servant. At the end of my life, I want to have helped people. And I want the Lord to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I conclude with this. I've always thought, maybe I'm strange, I always thought I should have been born in the 40s, the 30s. I should have been preaching when people would stay in church all day. Lord, why would you give me this message? People don't even care about you anymore. For the most part, even the preachers act like they don't believe it, some of them. But I realized, The time that I was born is a time when there, I feel, is the greatest need. You read your newspaper. Look at the murder. You drive. Look at the insensitivity. You open your eyes and see all of the prejudice and discrimination and this people against that people. You look at the the great need of those that are homeless and desolate. And you tell me what better time to carry a bloodstained banner and give someone hope and a belief and an assurance that there is a place where the weary will find rest. There's a place far greater than anything we can imagine. The Bible says that uh, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for them that love him. Why must there be heaven on earth when there's a heaven above? You're going to go through here. And things will not always be the way they should be in your eyesight. But as the eagle hovers above her little ones, watching them, our Heavenly Father watches over us. And when we get weak, he'll strengthen us. He'll send encouragement. Sometimes it'll be a stranger. Sometimes it'll be an old friend. Sometimes it'll be a passage of scripture. Uh, This is not a fairy tale. I'm not in this, I'm not playing this. I believe it. I found something and uh, I'm gonna hold on to it. And I would suggest anyone that's in their right mind to give their life to him and allow him. See, we don't want him to be Lord. We wanna be Lord and we want him to serve us. I need this. Can you meet me there at the hospital? I need this. I need some money in my bank account. Well, uh, I'm in trouble. I I need you to be a good lawyer for me. Nah, man. He's our Lord. We have to yield to him. And not my will. But that will be done. Baby, I thank you for interviewing me and you uh, gave me an opportunity to voice some things that I've experienced. and, uh, And when I look back, I know it wasn't mama that brought me through because she's been gone. Definitely wasn't my father because he's been gone for almost four or five decades. It definitely wasn't my intellect. took me five years to get out of college. (laughs) It was was God and God alone. And I would recommend him to my closest friends if I had any. Uh, He's all we have.
1: He's all we need.
2: My girl. Now that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. My girl. God bless you. I'm out.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Redemption Arc. To stay connected and receive show updates, follow at The Redemption Arc Pod on Instagram. Once again, that's at The Redemption Arc Pod on Instagram. You can also connect through email. Feel free to send prayer requests, personal testimonies, your thoughts on previous episodes or ideas for future ones, along with any questions you may have to The Redemption Arc Podcast at gmail.com. The purpose of this show is to edify the family of faith, as well as engage those who are not yet believers but want to find out what this Christian walk could look like for them. I want the Redemption Arc to be as interactive of a platform as possible, so please do not hesitate to reach out. I'll see y'all in the next episode, but in the meantime, stay prayerful, stay vigilant, and never forget in whom you are redeemed. Thanks, y'all.